Hey everybody, it is Trags once again. We go in a slightly different direction for very good reason this week. I welcome in the one and only Tony Pike of Cincy 360 on ESPN 1530. You can hear him every day, noon to 2 p.m. You can also uh, see him on uh, Valley Sports Ohio. He co-hosts uh, the Bearcats Insider, a terrific show uh, every week with uh, Dan Horde. Uh, Tony Pike and Dan Horde on that show, certainly something you should be uh, watching as a primer for this Friday's national semifinal in the college football playoff down at the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas, uh, number four Cincinnati against number one Alabama. Tony, thanks for joining me. Yeah, I, I appreciate you joining me. And when you say Alabama, you've got to you've got to add in the the disrespected Alabama Crimson Tide now after after this uh, this week's comments. You know, uh, what do you think of Nick Saban? Uh, you know. I, I get that you have to try to do different things to motivate your team. And, and I, I understand where all that comes from, but, you know, I watched Bryce Young's Heisman talk about how he's been, you know, doubted his whole life. And I'm thinking, man, he's a five-star recruit. He's, you know, starting at Alabama as a sophomore. He just won the Heisman. And, uh, you know, this team just won the national championship. Uh, there, there's not a lot of people that doubt. Alabama year in and year out. So I get that you've got to find different ways to motivate. It's just to me, I, I, I laughed at some of the comments throughout the week as I'm thinking to myself, you know, this, if anything, it's, it's, you see the team that had to scratch and claw to even get the respect right. to be in the top four. And now we're seeing it spun a, a little bit differently in, uh, in Dallas. As you know, uh, I covered the Patriots uh, from 1993 through uh, 2019 and, you know, Patriots dynasty 1.0, we like to call it, uh, back in new England, they always, always harped on being disrespected. Nobody yep. expected us to win. And once they won the third super bowl, they knew they couldn't play that yeah, card anymore. Over. They tried, but it was definitely over. And I'm just surprised the way Bill knows um, Nick Saban, of course, how close they are that uh, Nick would go down that road. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I want to get into some of the breakdowns of this game, which I actually find fascinating. And I'm going to, we'll start with the obvious. And you already mentioned him, Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner against the Bengals, Bengals, Bearcats quarterback, Desmond Ritter. Um, it's an interesting matchup to me because Bryce Young is somebody who does it primarily with his arm and yeah. Desmond Ritter is to me, a true hybrid who can do it with his arm, the way he reads defenses, but he can also get out on the run and is more inclined to run for a first down, uh, you know, on third and long. Yeah. I, uh, I can't tell you how many times doing the radio show daily that instead of bearing Bengals, I say Bearcats or vice versa. <laughs> Yeah, because we're going into the we're going into the new year, and the Bengals are in first in the AFC North, and the Bearcats are playing for a a college football national championship burst. Never it's happened been, before. No, it's it's unbelievable where both of these these teams and organizations are. But when you look at the quarterback battle, I mean, make no mistake about it, you're going up against the Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. I mean, Bryce Young earned his Heisman Trophy moment, and he, he earned winning that award. What I, what I see when I think of Dez, as you mentioned, is the ability to run. But I feel like for most of the year, he's kind of been harnessed with a lot of his runs. You know, you go back to his freshman, sophomore, junior year, he was running all over the place. That was more what he wanted to do. This year, I think they managed it perfectly for that reason. There was games as the season went on that he was used more as a runner. 
He was used more of a runner in that Notre Dame game. But the games that they had in control, they didn't run him as much. And I think that was by design because you get a healthy, ready-to-go Des Ritter now for this game coming up against Alabama. I think the, the harness has to come off because Bryce Young no question. is not going to do a ton with his legs. He wants to be a pocket passer. And we'll get into the, the Bearcats' defense and how they can harness that. Des Ritter's best asset is going to be getting on the edge and being a runner and a passer. Very rarely is he going to drop back, sit in the pocket against a pass rush in Alabama that was top three in the country and getting after the quarterback. If you want Jerome Ford to have success, you've got to have Des Ritter as a runner because that occupies more of the Alabama defense. And it's going to bring extra hats into the box and allow Des to hit Josh Wiley, Leonard Taylor, Alec Pierce. So I think Bryce Young's success is sitting in the pocket, having a lot of time, pushing the ball down the field. Des Ritter's success is going to be moving the pocket, getting the ball downfield, and using his legs as a run-pass option. But I do think that strategically, Mike Denbrock and company limited his touches through a lot of the season uh, for that reason, because there's not a ton out there. And we saw in years past when Des Ritter would run, when you're looking on TV or, or at the game, it might not look like he's moving very fast. Right. But he's so elusive with his strides. And Alabama hasn't seen that yet. So they haven't really played a quarterback like Des. So it's weird because I think both quarterbacks can have success in different ways in this game. So uh, I'm sure you've taken a look at the pressures and the sacks that Alabama has given up. And this is one way I think the Bearcats can really get to Bryce Young or at least attack Alabama's offense. They've given up 46 sacks. They've lost 284 yards. Here's another number, Tony, that stuck out to me. 17 fumbles, six lost. Yeah. The Crimson Tide puts the ball on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I think this Bearcat defense has been opportunistic all season long. They're aggressive. They have playmakers. And I think that's a good combination for UC. And, you you know, you take a look at Darian Beavers, Jay Sanders, and Joel DeBlanco. Those are just three of them to start with. And you you can throw in what you think could be uh, some of the pass rushers in this game. To me, that's where this game starts as a game plan for the Bearcats. Yeah. When you really look at Alabama, they have given up sacks and they're not historically like you think of like the Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, those type of run first teams that this is not that Alabama team. They don't run the ball particularly well. And then they get in, when they get in those situations where they have to pass teams have been able to get after the quarterback a little bit. So, you know, you mentioned the linebacking core. I think they play a huge role in this. The, the defensive line as a whole, whether they go three down or four down, has to get pressure up front. But the guy for me is Myjay Sanders. He came into this year as a top uh, two-round NFL draft prospect. And for much of the year, he's seen double teams. He has seen triple teams. Alabama is going to come out and say, look, we're going to block Myjay Sanders with one. They're going to let their tackles try to block Myjay Sanders. So for the first time, I think Myjay sees some one-on-one. Boy, I, I like that for UC. I do. I do. And, and I really think that the way his motor runs, he's a little bit undersized, but he's so quick off the edge. I think Myjay Sanders is huge because the obvious matchup is going to be Jamison Williams, Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant. Yeah, right. The right. Bearcats strengthen their secondary will allow them to put more in the box for the pass rush to try to get after Bryce Young. So 
I'm I'm really interested what the front seven can do. But I went back and I watched Ohio State Alabama from last year. And I watched what Alabama did with Devontae Smith. They moved him around so much in that game. And Ohio State didn't move with him. So what I'm interested in, yes, can they get after the passer? But will Sauce Gardner, if Jamison Williams lines up in the slot, will he follow him the whole game and not allow Alabama to dictate who's going to cover their best receiver? So that's interesting to me because I was going to ask you whether or not you thought that um, Sauce Gardner would be on their top receiver and Kobe Bryant would be on their number two in terms of the statistics. I think it's a situation where they could sit where they are and whoever is on one side or if they're on if they're both on one side, then, you know, they can pick and choose. I'm curious to get your perspective. You you know, you played the quarterback position. Uh, What would be the more likely scenario for the Bearcats to do with their top two corners? You know, Kobe Bryant is the Thorpe winner. Uh, Ahmad Gardner is a consensus All-American. What teams have had success against UC this year is when they put guys into the slot because UC hasn't really sent their their DBs into the slot. They keep them on the outside and they try to keep uh, opposing teams really on an island out there. And they have linebackers who, not to cut you off, but they have linebackers who can cover. Absolutely. Um, I think they come out early and they try to play it like they have all year. But if Jamison Williams starts having success, I think you got to nip in the butt right away and you got to put sauce on them. You're talking about a guy that hasn't given up a touchdown in his Bearcat career and man-to-man still coverage. Still unbelievable. <laughs> if, I'm, if, I'm a, if I'm a quarterback going against UC, to me it would make it easier for me to put my best receiver in the slot if they don't follow him around. Because, you know, if I'm Bryce Young, I'm watching what Sauce has done, and that's a challenge because it puts pressure on you as a quarterback because you feel like you got to be perfect. When you line up in the slot and you might get Jamison Williams, as good as Darian Beavers is and as good as Brian Cook has been, that's still a matchup that favors one of the best receivers in the country. They did that with Devontae Smith last year. On the outside, whether it's Kobe or whether it's Sauce, I like the matchup against Jamison Williams. I'm just interested when they move him into the slot. And you think about this Nick Saban and Alabama coach team with now extra time to prepare. They're going to try to find ways to move Jamison Williams away from those two DBs, especially because their their number two receiver is not playing in this game. So that's that's a big uh, factor in this game for the Bearcats. That's uh, John Mitchie, I believe, yeah. right, who was out yeah. of this game. Um, all right, let's move on to the red zone. Have you taken a look at the red zone numbers in this game? Remarkably <sighs> similar. Yes. The Bearcats are 42 touchdowns and 61 shots. The Crimson Tide, 43 touchdowns and 61 shots. And to me, I mean, you're talking about 66% conversion rate for both teams, pretty much. That's pretty good, right? It's really good. Um, The biggest thing for me in this game, you're not going to beat Alabama by kicking field goals. No. And the Achilles heel for this Bearcats team has (laughs) been missing field goals. I I can't express enough how much of a momentum change it is when another team misses a field goal. Because for the offense... Let's, let's say they go down, you get three or four first downs, you move the ball against Alabama, you miss a chip shot field goal. It's so, such a gut punch that now Alabama has the momentum. The team that converts touchdowns in the red zone instead of trying field goals 
is a team that has a decided edge in this game. What I'm interested to see as the red zone unfolds, let's say first quarter, it's fourth and seven from the 20 yard line. Does Luke Fickle kick or does Luke Fickle go for it? Luke Fickle goes for it. It, I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think if they're inside the 30, I don't see any scenario where they're not going for it, barring it being like fourth and 15, 15, exactly. Something like that. If it's fourth and under 10, I think the Bearcats try to play four down football. And I think Mike Denbrock can use that, right? If it's third and seven, it doesn't handcuff you to have to throw the ball. You can still give the ball to Jerome Ford and try to get in a fourth and four, but you're you're not going to beat Alabama with field goals in the first place, especially when you're as poor as what UC has been kicking the field goal. I think you play aggressive, you leave it all on the table, and and you try to convert those red zone trips to touchdowns. Who is kicking in this game? For That's the a great Cats? question. It's a great question. Um, are all three available? I, I do believe all three are available. Uh, they've played it all year like it's been a competition. I'm, I'm guessing it's been a competition throughout bowl practices, but I would I would venture to guess that there's been a lot of conversations in the last month about the aggressiveness uh, what the threshold is. Is it plus territory? Is it the 40? Where are you going to see the Bearcats be aggressive as opposed to where are you going to see the Bearcats maybe try to punt the ball and say, okay, Alabama against this defense, you got to go 90 yards on us. Right. And I mean, we should bring up the fact Cole Smith kicked a uh, championship winning yeah. field goal against Tulsa in the 2020 AAC championship game. There is that and that was in the rain. Those were kind of difficult conditions and a pressure yeah. kick. I mean, I guess I would fall back on that. That has been the number one fear, I think, of every Bearcat fan of yeah. the season is that this year would come down, whether it was getting into the BCS or actually in the BCS and playing a team like Alabama, yeah. and it's a one-possession game late, and yeah. you're down yeah. two points. Yeah, they haven't needed it this year because they've, they've been in control in so many games, but you've seen early in games missed extra points missed field goals, yep. it, it leaves an uneasy feeling, um, especially in this moment. You know, the, the kickers have struggled already this year, and now you're, you're in the Cotton Bowl. You're playing against Alabama. You might have a little bit more stress on that kick. Maybe you kick it low and it gets blocked and returned. There's mm. just there's too many concerns for me to, uh, to try to win this game with, with kicking field goals. I couldn't agree more. Uh, again, we are speaking with the one and only Tony Pike. He was on that 2009 Cincinnati Bearcats team that I believe to this had uh, up until the AAC championship game this year, yeah. you had quarterbacked in the greatest Bearcat football game ever. Yeah, I do yeah, believe yeah. that the 45, 44 game in Pittsburgh. I remember it was a Saturday uh, and I was uh, getting ready for Patriots coverage. It was it was a home game the next day at, at Gillette. But I remember yeah. watching that game, Tony, and it was one of having grown up here in, in Cincinnati. It was one of my favorite football games I ever watched. Sean McDonough did the broadcast. Yeah, I forget. I think it was um, uh, Todd Blacklegs, maybe yeah. on, yep. on color. And it just it was just such a great game to watch. And I want to get while we're talking about great UC moments, everybody remembers your pass to Armand Benz for the game winning touchdown. But what do you remember most about that day and what sticks out? Uh, I I like to not remember any of the first half of that day (laughs) through three interceptions. We were down 31 to 10. Uh, What I remember most other than the pass um, is the Marty Gilliard return kick. 
you know, because at the time we're down 21, it's right before the half. That stadium was loud. You know, Heinz Field was sold out. It was snowing. It was cold. He returns the kick. And at that point, nothing was really said on the sideline, but the look was, okay, we know we're an explosive offense. We know we can come back in this game. And then things start to fall together in the second half. Um, and then they scored with just over a minute left to go up by six. And then they missed the extra point. They botched the snap. And again, nothing was said, but just looking at that group of 10 others in the huddle, you kind of knew, okay, this, this is now not us going to tie, but us going to win, um, to win back-to-back Big East championships. And at the time, uh, if you remember, it was Texas playing Nebraska right yes, after that. I do. Uh, Colt McCoy and- scrambled and Dominic Sue pressured him. McCoy threw the ball out of bounds and the clock ran out. So we're thinking not only did we just win the Big East again, but we're going to the national championship to game play to play Alabama. There you go. Yeah. They put a second back on the clock. We go play Florida and Brian <sighs> Kelly's gone, but that, uh, that game was so fun. And this year was compared, you know, I, I was asked all the time, compare yeah. 09 to this year. And, you know, it, it was weird because 09, we, we had to outscore a lot of people. Um, this year's defense is so much better. I think the 09 offense was more consistent. I think this this offense at times this year has stalled a little bit, um, but there's so many really good comparisons from 2009 to this year's team um, and and really how the offense has evolved over these last few weeks has, has made this team so much more formidable with what they do offensively. Isaiah Pede, of course, um, yep. and when you, when you look at him and then you look at take a look at Jerome Ford, do you see similarities? Absolutely. That That's to me the biggest surprise going into this year because I knew Alec Pierce was such a weapon. I knew Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor are both NFL tight ends. I didn't know what Jerome Ford was going to be. We saw the moment in the Peach Bowl, um, but man, to watch the explosive runs this year, to watch that run against Houston, Houston to yep. see what he can do as a pass catcher out of the backfield, he is a, he's a difference maker. And that's why combined with Des Ritter in this game, it takes one misstep from an Alabama defensive player and the holes there and Jerome Ford can hit it and Des Ritter can make you miss and he can go for big gains as well. So Jerome Ford to me, you know, he's, he, I, I know he, he said he doesn't want to be known as the Alabama Damn transfer. transfer. I was just going to say Jerome back. Alabama transfer, yeah, Ford. but <laughs> he is a, uh, he's a difference maker. And if he can, can have success because Alabama will be tough to run against. It's Alabama. Um, But if UC stays with it and they don't abandon the run and go one-dimensional, I think at some point you see an explosive play from Jerome Ford. You know he's going to be running hard against his former team, um, but he he changes the dynamic completely for this Bearcat offense. How physical do you think the Bearcats' offensive line is? And it can it be physical enough to – I don't want to even say wear down, but hang in with – the defensive line long enough to get, you know, you may yeah. only need five explosive plays in this game on the run game to make a difference. Yeah. If you look at uh, the, the Houston AAC championship game, Houston came into that game tied with Alabama third in college football in sacks and UC did a great job. Every offensive lineman goes over 300 pounds. They use Josh Wiley, Leonard Taylor, and the running backs really well to chip on the outside mm-hmm. against defensive ends. So that helps Des Ritter and, Des Ritter doesn't need a lot of time, and he needs one running lane. So sometimes teams have to, to dial back their pressures 
Because if you just pin your ears back and rush up field, you leave a crease for Des Ritter that he's going to find and beat you with. So it was my biggest question mark coming into the season. What can the offensive line turn into? They lost two tackles. I think they've got three offensive linemen on uh, first team, all AAC uh, players. So they've taken a big step forward and their, their use of tight ends and running backs to help the pass protection is really dynamic. And I think it helps enough that, that they can protect Des Ritter in this game. So what was the biggest area of growth in Des Ritter from the middle part of the season where I think some people were concerned about his ability to read, maybe force. He did not look comfortable in in certain games uh, to the end of the season where it looked like the old Des Ritter. He put so much time in the off season on his down the field passing. And it's been so good this year. Alec Pierce is a big reason why they've got speed guys on the outside, but when Des Ritter struggled, he never got comfortable early in games. And for a quarterback, most quarterbacks, that's huge. You know, you look at some of the games he struggled early, his first pass is coming on third and nine. And that's tough. You know, I'm always a proponent of getting, uh, whether it's Joe Burrow here in Cincinnati, whether it's Des Ritter, get early completions and easy completions for quarterbacks because it changes your confidence level. If it's third and 10, your first pass, you're pressured, you're sacked, uh, you're throwing a, a pass in a small window, you're not really in the game yet. You know, get out there, get a swing pass, get a hitch, get Des Ritter comfortable early. And they didn't do that at the middle part of the year. And when they started to get him easy completions early and the, the throws that he makes, the small window throws when he's got confidence and he's driving into the throw – is a huge difference, and, and I think that played a big part in the success from that middle season lull to the explosiveness at the end. You and I both know James Rapine, and we had this. James and I had this discussion on this podcast about three weeks ago when um, it was announced uh, that Luke Fickle would not be leaving uh, Cincinnati for Notre yeah. Dame, and I am of the belief that is because Luke Fickle does know what he has, at least for the short term here in Cincinnati. And I don't think he was going either way. And I want to get your, you know, perspective on this, Tony Pike, as to whether or not you think Luke Fickle was ever going to take that Notre Dame job, or if he was very, very happy where he is in Cincinnati and wants to give it at least a couple more years. I know he's extremely happy here in Cincinnati. And I also know that he wouldn't even talk to anyone until the season ended. I know that that's been his message uh, all throughout. He's not going to create a distraction for his team. And I think that's what makes Luke Fickle such a, a, a player's first coach. I mean, we all see the reserved Luke Fickle, the quiet demeanor. And then you look at videos of him doing pull-ups in the locker room after wins. Yes. I mean, his, his team plays so hard for him. There's so much love. He has such a small circle that you really feel like you can trust and buy into what Luke Fickle's selling there wasn't a job that came open that I thought Luke Fickle was leaving for um, mostly because I know his wife loves it here. Yes. Uh, I know their family loves it here. They just built this huge barn that helps in recruiting. His son is on this team as an offensive lineman and they're getting ready to go into the big 12 here soon. So no longer is it a shot on UC that you can't go to UC and play for a national title. They're doing it this year and they're going to go to a power five conference here in a couple of years and have that chance year in and year out. And I think keeping Luke Fickle happy is a big part. He wants an indoor facility. They're making the steps now to get an indoor facility done at the University of Cincinnati. They're getting locker room upgrades. They're trying to find more money to pay assistant coaches. I really do feel like Luke Fickle 
appreciates the fact that UC was the team that gave him his chance to be a head coach, uh, that UC stayed with him after that struggle of, of year one. And, uh, and now they're seeing the benefits. He's got such a stranglehold on recruiting in Ohio. The recruiting classes are piling up. They are doing everything right. And, uh, and, and I, I just feel like he's so comfortable in Cincinnati that, that he is here for the foreseeable future. That's what I exactly what I said. So well said, Tony. I appreciate that. Um, also, obviously, you probably saw the clip of Brian Kelly's farewell at Notre Dame. Did you not? Yeah. yeah. Were you in the room? I, I assume you were in the room when yeah. he did likewise before the Sugar Bowl against Florida in January of 2010. Yeah, I, uh, I, I remember because I watched that video and I'm like, man, they got four minutes out of him. <laughs> I think ours was like 90 seconds and it was done right? right after it was done right after our banquet. So we, we go undefeated. We're playing in the sugar bowl mm-hmm. right before the banquet. You know, social media wasn't as crazy then, but it had broke on ESPN that Brian Kelly had took the job and all throughout the, the uh, banquet, he's talking about, you know, we and us and what we're going to do. And at the time, everyone already knew. So there was so much anger building and then it was maybe 90 seconds, two minutes. He talked in front of us and walked out of the room and, and that was it. So it was a very similar feeling. Um, and I will say this, I've known Marcus Freeman for a long time. Yep. Notre Dame hit a home run in Marcus Freeman. I couldn't be happier for him, but seeing that brought back a lot of memories because that Notre Dame team at the time was not eliminated from the playoffs. There was By still no means. There was still a good avenue that they could have got right. in. And, uh, and he left and, and moved on. So it brought back a lot of memories, but you know, UC is in a better place now. And I think Notre Dame is going to be in a better place with Marcus Freeman. And I, and to Brian Kelly's defense, and I think you would probably agree. It's probably easier for him. He feels to recruit at LSU yeah. and be in that situation. And, and look, he, he wasn't at Notre Dame for three years. Like, you know, it wasn't a short stint. He's the all time winning, winning, winning his coach there. Yeah, he is. He's, he's done a lot at Notre Dame, he felt it was time to move on. That's a little different than when he was here and it was seen as kind of the stepping stone. He's, he's accomplished a lot at Notre Dame and now trying to do the same at LSU. Okay. Prediction on uh, Friday, Alabama, Cincinnati, and then we'll get your other game as well. Look, I, I I've told people all along and I've talked to, to different people leading up to this game. My thing is the biggest thing that UC needs to do is forget about what names on the Jersey. Because if you don't think of it as Nick Saban in Alabama and you take that name away, I think from an X's and O's standpoint, this game's really close. Now, if Alabama plays A-plus football, no one in the country beats them. But we're, we're so much creatures of habit that we just look at the last game. Georgia was impressive. I've watched LSU. I've watched them against Florida. I watched them against Texas Auburn. A&M. Auburn. There are holes in this team. Um, and I'm not saying that to, to be disrespectful. When you say there's holes in Alabama – you know, that's, that's got to play. You're a, you're right. a coach. If you're a coach and you're scouting a team that you're playing, that is what you're looking for. Right. You've got to play your, your a plus football. And I don't think UC's done that this year. I think this would be a great game for them to do it, but here's what I do know. They got six guys going to the senior bowl. They've probably got eight or nine guys that are going to be drafted. Um, and they had, they had so many guys come back from the peach bowl. So I don't think they go into Dallas and they're looking at the stadium and they're just happy to be there. I think they're going in there because they have unfinished business. And again, Bryce Young, Jamison Williams is the strength of Alabama. Kobe Bryant, Sauce Gardner are the strength of this Bearcats team. I think Alec Pierce can win a battle against anyone on the outside. 
I think Josh Wiley and Leonard Taylor create matchup problems. Jerome Ford and Des Ritter are matchup problems. It takes UC's best, but I really can see an avenue where they can beat Alabama. Um, you know, Auburn was a backup quarterback, and Auburn let that game slip away at the end. LSU was in it at the end. Florida played them, and, and I just watched UCF beat Florida in a bowl game, and UC hung 52 on UC. I mean, it, it's just it's remarkable that I think there is enough there and, and a lot of this is just having so much time to look into this game that you talk yourself into stuff. But I really do believe in, in, in my heart that, that UC can go in and, and win this game uh, against Alabama. Georgia and Michigan. Look, I think everyone has anointed Georgia the best team of football all year except for that SEC title game. I've seen a team that has flaws. I've seen a team offensively that isn't extremely explosive. And their defense got exposed a little bit. Michigan's a different animal because Michigan's so reliant on their running game. Run game, right? I think Georgia's too good in their run defense that Michigan can't score enough. But I do think that's closer than a lot of people think. I do think Georgia comes out on top of that, though. Uh, I would uh, agree with both of those assessments. And I, I think there's an avenue Cincinnati plays for the national championship January 10th. I think it's against Georgia in a peach. People forget. Tony, and I'm sure you don't, but people forget how very close the Bearcats were to winning that Peach Bowl and how different the conversation would have been this whole season had the Bearcats come in off a undefeated season, having beaten Mm -hmm. Georgia in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, and I I just think there's so much that they learned from that. And there's so many players that said, we're coming back, that could have went to the NFL and that could have left. They came back for a reason. And look, they have... uh, they, they've, they've had this target on their back all year in the American Athletic Conference. They've gotten everybody's best. They had to go on the road. And, and again, preseason, Indiana was a top 15 team. Notre Dame, I still conclude, is one of the biggest wins of the college football season, at least one of the biggest five wins. And they did that by really playing two and a half good quarters. And they ran away from Notre Dame at the end. I don't think they've played their best football yet. I think the, the extended time going into the bowl helps. They're 100% healthy. You don't see bowl opt-outs. This is a team that is excited and has a big opportunity. And, and I know just from following this team and, and following along with bowl practices that, that they have been locked in and they're ready to go. I want to let you go pretty soon, but I have to ask you about Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Yeah. And I am of the belief that the way this Bengals ro- roster has been built offensively, they are as good as the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think the Bengals believe they can be the next Kansas City Chiefs quarterback and all. Yeah. I watched Dan Orlovsky on Monday this week say that the Bengals have the best skill group in the AFC. And I, I can't go away from that. You know, I think Joe Burrow's a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. And I'm watching what they're doing. And there was so much conversation leading up to the draft of Team Penesul, Team Jamar Chase. I was from, from the get-go Team Jamar Chase because this is the, this is the vision. Yep. You know, so many teams in the NFL, look at, look at uh, Tennessee. They have the injury to Derrick Henry, and immediately they're one-dimensional and they can't beat you. How do you defend against the Cincinnati Bengals right now? Do you take Jamar Chase away? Because they still have T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon. Do you try to load the box and take away Joe Mixon? Because they have this three-headed monster at wide receiver. Do you drop two safeties back and keep everything in front of you, and then Joe Mixon's going to tear you up? And oh, by the way, Tyler Boyd's 27, and the rest of the core is younger than that. They're all here until uh, at least 2023 through that season. 
it is uh it's exciting. And, you know, I, I think they're ahead of schedule. I, I think they've crashed the party one year early, but the organization deserves a ton of credit. They've, they've rebuilt this defense. They've done so well through the draft. They're going to have top five money to spend in the off season to, to really secure that offensive line, but good luck trying to defend this team going forward. If Joe Burrow doesn't turn the ball over yep. and they protect him when he drops back, because there's no way you can cover all the weapons. They're going to put up points. And yeah. the question is, is the defense going to hold up? I mean, I think yeah. the Bengals defense has been rebuilt incredibly well. And I think their secondary is, you know, knock wood, very healthy right now. And they've got the risk. They've actually got a secondary that can defend, I think, in a respectful manner, yeah. in a spe- respectable, excuse me, uh, manner against the Chiefs weapons on the outside look the i concerns, worry about travis kelsey of course and that I worry is because i i watched what mark andrews did and i watched what george kittle did and you know that's my concern with the bengals defensively but you know i think a lot can be taken in this league with losses you know the bears loss where where burrow turned the ball over the jets loss where the defense just took the week off i think that goes a long way and you build and you learn especially from a younger team how to be an NFL successful team, right? How to win games. And I look at these last two weeks, they win a defensive battle against Denver, and then they win a shootout where if you really look against Baltimore, the defense did, didn't play really well. Josh Johnson had a lot of success. Third down was throws. horrific, Tony. Yeah. So in two weeks, they've won in different manners. So now they know they can win in different styles. And I know a lot of people are, are saying it's, it's Kansas City and the rest. Kansas City's won eight in a row. You got to lose sometime, you know, and, and, and this is a team and this is an offense that is playing better than they have all year in the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow has this new confidence and I, I love everything about this team and, and, and where they're headed right now. I think there's a lot of reason to feel very optimistic about both football teams and yeah. Cincinnati. That is the point of this podcast, Tony. Pike is to talk about the Bearcats and Bengals, and especially when the Bearcats are playing for a national championship. I really appreciate you joining me, Tony. Um, your Twitter handle, I want to make sure I get this right, T-O-N-Y underscore P-I-K-E-1-5, your number yep. at UC. Yep. You know, I chose to go the UC number instead of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. I think. Rightfully so. What was Matt Moore like, Tony? I love Matt Moore. Matt Moore was great to me. I saw a stat earlier this morning, you know, 24 straight losses for, uh, for Notre Dame quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. I Jimmy did not Clawson, know that. Jimmy Clawson was, was, was uh, four of those. So, you know, maybe they should have given me some more time <laughs> in Carolina. But, yes, Ian Book last night made it 24 straight losses for, uh, for former Notre Dame quarterbacks starting yeah, that was, in the NFL. By the way, Tony, um, that was a painful game to watch. Brutal mm-hmm. to watch all the way around. Makes I mean, you appreciate what we have in Cincinnati. It Who really thought does. We'd have been saying that at the start of the year. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, again, that is Tony Pike. Uh, he does a tremendous job on ESPN 1530 noon to two daily. And uh, he is on Cincy 360. I got that right. Right, Tony? Yes, sir. Yes, All sir. right, and he is also co-host with Dan Horde of Bearcats Insider Weekly on Bally Sports Ohio. What time are you on this week, Tony? Preview uh, six next- o'clock. The show will air on on Wednesday and Thursday. So a lot of good stuff leading into the bowl game, and you know, for the Bearcats, you know, if they win, that allows me to do another show. So 
you know, they, it, it's another a paycheck. Both sides. It's another paycheck. <laughs> well, uh, the, the pride of Reading High School 2004, I want to thank you very much for joining me. It's been so much fun. We'll have to do this again. Okay, Tony. Anytime. I appreciate you. You bet. All right. He's Tony Pike. I'm Trags, Mike Petralia. Thanks for listening to the Jungle Roar podcast.